Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to take a look at what Jesus had to say to his disciples and many others who were sitting close by him, talking about the blessed. Let's get going. And he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All of that is from Matthew chapter 5. You know that word blessed that Jesus used in this passage literally means fortunate or prosperous. Note also that the state of the blessed is in the present, but all of the blessings point forward to an eternal future state as well. That is, they are guaranteed and perpetual. So let's consider those who are so blessed. First, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? This is not a material poverty. To be poor in spirit is to see yourself in the most humble terms. And I'm going to illustrate this with several examples. First is Gideon. It says in Judges 6, So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Next is Moses in Exodus 3. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And next is David in Second Samuel 7. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? For what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And then there's Paul. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And then there's Peter. From Luke chapter 5, we read, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, 
For I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And finally, there's Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I have heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eye sees you. I have heard of thee, but now I have seen thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's from Job 42. You see, this blessed state comes from the realization that the Lord himself is our standard. In his presence, we discover our own poverty of spirit. Next, the tragedy of death comes to everyone. But the tragedy of grief comes to so many more, because for nearly all who die, there are more people who care and mourn, some very deeply. You know, I think God first mourned when Adam and Eve died. For us, grief is a train wreck, a truly gut-wrenching emotion that triggers loud cries of anguish. And the pain doesn't pass, but tortures the mind and heart of those closest to the deceased. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and that word poorly translated as acquainted is knows from experience. But as we look with hope to the future, he promises, as it said in Revelation chapter 21, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, that is grief or mourning, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, his promise is to the lowly, that is, the meek and humble. Their future is to inherit the whole earth. Oh, not likely the present messed up planet, but the new earth that God promises to make. From Isaiah 65, we read, For behold, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come upon the heart. And for Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And then next, his promise to those who strongly desire for all things to be made right. You know, the psalmist says in Psalms 8, speaking of what the Father has done for his Son, he says, You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Peter, speaking to the crowd after Christ ascended to heaven, said, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. That's Acts chapter 3. Yes, the time will come when all things will be made new and right. All things, all things, all things. Think of that. Next is promise to the merciful. 
Of course, mercy is closely related to being forgiving. And as you all know, this is not a natural human response. Almost universally, our first reaction to an injury or injustice is getting mad, getting back, getting even. But this is not God's way. Mercy, simply defined, is not getting what you deserve. Now, King David understood that he deserved a lot of this evening of accounts, both from God and from other people. So he truly praised God when he rejoiced that, from Psalms 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When God passed before Moses on Mount Sinai, and proclaimed his character. This attribute was first on the list. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, quote, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. See Exodus chapter 34. And Jesus portrayed this for us when upon being brutally beaten and then nailed to a cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. See Luke 23. The promise is that the merciful will be shown mercy, not just once, but forever. As Psalms 136 says, 26 times, for his mercy endures forever. So wonderfully, this is an everlasting promise. Next, the pure in heart. In both Old and New Testaments, this purity means clean. And in both Testaments, there was or is one and only one way to be clean, by the blood. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of the lamb or goat of sacrifice. Ever since the cross of Calvary, it is the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So why blood? Well, in the Old Testament, it was considered a covering of sin, an atonement. In the beginning, mankind's sin brought with it death into this world. So, the spilling of blood, which is the life of the body, was a reminder of the consequence of sin. To individually recognize and appreciate that in the Old Testament was prerequisite for God's forgiveness, his cleaning of your slate, so to speak. And since Calvary... God requires us to place our faith in the sin-covering power of Christ's shed blood. But instead of an animal's blood, which was only symbolic, we believe in the universal debt-canceling power of the life of the unique, perfect man, Jesus, the permanent, perfect satisfaction in God's view. So to be pure in heart, to be truly clean, The only way is to be saved, to sincerely believe in the Son of God's death and resurrection, which He did for you. When you have that purity of heart, His promise is that you will see God. You will see God in those who, like you, have placed their trust in Jesus. You will see God in all His marvelous handiwork. You will see God in His Word. And, of course, you will see God one day face to face and rejoice forever. Next, it's the peacemakers. This was a real shocker for the Jews. 
they were expecting their Messiah to come and make war on all their enemies. But real peace can never be found in a compromise with evil. You can never have peaceful coexistence with sin. Jesus was at war, not with the Romans, but with Satan and sin. And the peace Christ brings is simply peace with God. He told his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. See John 14 for that. So, as we have received, thus we give. Quote, when I am doing the work of God by reconciling men to God and showing them the way to inward peace and seeking to guide them in the path of the Spirit, I am called a child of God, for I have become like my Father. Thanks, Chuck Smith, for that. Finally, it's the persecuted. Notice that this is specifically trouble that comes from living for Christ, for speaking of Him and actively serving Him, It is not from your own selfish or unrighteous anger or other generally sinful behavior. The prophets were persecuted in their days. Christ was supremely persecuted. The apostles in early church were persecuted, also many to the death. Sincere and active believers have always been persecuted in all sorts of ways. In the days ahead, believers will be beheaded for faith in Christ. And his promise is that when such is the case, your reward in heaven is great. And since it is in heaven, it will also be forever. Thus it is with all the blessings or fortunes of the sincere believers. They are both present and perpetual, now and forever, here and most importantly, in heaven. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm, and faith to trust Him. Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of His grace today.